James. If you have your Bible, open with me to James chapter one, and we will be in verses one through four this morning as we, as I said, launch into a new series on the book of James. Uh, Over the course of these past three years, we've had the joy of studying the book of Philippians together. We've launched through the book of Mark together, and tonight, or this morning, we launch through the book of James together. Now, James, I've titled this series, Real Life, Real Faith, because I believe the book of James is one of the most practical, simple to understand, applicable. Oftentimes, James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's applicable, clear, helpful, and it's the intersection of when the Bible meets your life. What happens? So this morning, we're going to walk through just chunk at a time, little by little, navigate our way through this, and uh, it's going to be, I think, a, an, an instructive, helpful discourse as we look at the book of James over the next several weeks. So uh, in the beacon this week, you'll see uh, kind of thoughts on how to read the book of James together, what we can do together to increase our productivity and effectiveness of this time. But right now, let's pray and let me read this text together and then we'll launch for James, a servant of God and the Lord Christ Jesus, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we come to you with hearts that are receptive and open to whatever it is that you will have for us today. Would you teach us, refine us, and shape us? Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord? You are our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, to give you a a slight bit of an introduction to the book of James, let me just remind you that James was written by Jesus' half-brother. Jesus' half-brother is who wrote the book of James, and uh, James was an apostle called by Jesus. He was the leader of the Jewish church in Jerusalem there, and he was a, a speaker with authority. And James had a lot of authority. The people listened to him, and, and, and he was Jesus' half-brother. Let me get that through again, because I want to remind you how James himself would identify himself. Now, I know that I've hit this on multiple occasions, multiple times, but I'm going to hit it again this morning because I think it's of great and tremendous value for all of us. James is the half-brother of Jesus, the apostle sent out by Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem church. This man has all the qualifications and credentials that you could possibly imagine, yet when he is describing himself to the dispersion, what does he say? James, a servant of Jesus. I want to remind us again that our primary identifying qualification of who we are as believers is that we are a servant of Christ Jesus. We may be a lot of things. God may have given us a lot of platforms and opportunity, a lot of identifiers and adjectives that go before our name. We may be boss. We may be CEO. We may be all sorts of good things. But first and foremost, as a believer, we are servant of Christ Jesus. And if at any point we feel ourselves moving beyond or above or feeling like we are somehow over this qualification, friends, go back to your primary identifier in who you are as a believer and follower of Jesus. James, half-brother of Jesus, apostle, called by God, leader of the Jerusalem church, but his deepest and most pure understanding of who he is, I'm simply a servant. I'm simply a servant. All of us in this room, 
coming to the name of Jesus, are servants of Christ Jesus. And who is he writing to? He's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, meaning he's writing to the believers, the Jewish believers who have been so persecuted that they have scattered from their homeland. The easiest way to understand this is these are people that that James is writing to who have felt such intense persecution for their faith that they've had to leave their places, leave their families, leave homes, leave churches behind, and get out. So this morning, we understand, and it's critical as we read verse after verse, that we recognize who it is that is receiving these words from James. That James is writing to those who are persecuted, who are walking through tremendous difficulty, who have left home behind, who don't know if their economic hardship for what they've endured, they don't know what's coming their way. They're facing intense persecution. And it's here that I have wrestled with this text because it's Paul writing to the dispersion who are facing intense persecution for their faith. And Paul's words to them right out of the gate, count it all joy, my brothers. Oh man, does that not seem almost like, hey James, give them a little bit something to ease them into this, man. Hey, to you who are dispersed, to you who are uh, across the face of the earth in different places because of the persecution that you've endured, because you've left home and family, because you've had people in your home that have been killed and beaten. Hey, to you who've gone and been scattered throughout the face, hey, count it all joy, my brothers. As I've wrestled with that, it's been interesting to see on a parallel track to think, how can we talk about this? Because I know we face, I'm not minimizing whatever we face, but we face trials of various kinds in our life. I know that. In America, I'm thankful that we have not faced trials such as these that would scatter us across the face of the planet because we are afraid that we'll have our houses taken from us, our churches burned to the ground, our property destroyed, our jobs on edge. I believe that day may be coming in the future, and I pray it doesn't. But as you see what's happening across the face of the planet, knowing that what I preach here to you in this church right now is just as relevant as it is for believers facing difficult persecutions all over the face of the planet. You don't preach one thing here and say, well, for you believers in different parts in Haiti and other places, there's other verses that you need to hold to because count it all joy doesn't quite fit for you. As I was reading and processing and trying to understand How do believers across the face of this planet who are facing intense persecution, who are going through dispersions, how do they count it all joy? I had an interesting note come through my inbox this week that I think helped me tremendously. You all know as a church, we have the joy of having an English as a second language program in our church. This year alone, we had over 200 students from 32 different countries come into our church building to learn English as a second language. And don't you know, as they were learning English as a second language, they were also given the the woven tapestry of the gospel every single day. Sometimes we talk about the difficulty of going on foreign mission trips and the cost and the expense of going on foreign mission trips and doing foreign missions, but friends, mission is coming to our doorsteps four days a week through ESL and CE every single week. And if you want to go on mission, come to the church. Get involved. Start sitting around a table with people in different cultures and countries and sharing and hearing around a cup of coffee what their lives are like and then give them the gospel through intentional, loving hospitality and evangelism. We have some incredible people, and maybe you don't know how to do that. Man, we got the people that will train you up. 
We had a friend come to our church a college student who came to our ESL program who had some connections with people in our church and he came to us from Pakistan. He came in and got acclimated in our church and he came through ESL and learned a whole lot and he still had connections with his mom there in Pakistan and this week, maybe you've seen the news of what's happening in Pakistan. In Pakistan right now, churches are being burned. Believers' homes are being destroyed. Bibles are being tossed into streets to start fires to burn believers' artifacts and their personal belongings. Believers are sleeping in um, fields among stalks to keep themselves hidden from persecution and certain death and beating. This brother who came to our church through ESL, his mom has written me over the years just to share different things. And this week, she sent me some videos of what was happening in Pakistan. As I'm watching these videos of church steeples being toppled, as I'm watching Bibles being burned and believers being dragged out into streets, knowing that I'm about to preach, count it all joy, my brothers, what can I say to this precious woman who's facing intense persecution? On Friday, she sent me a Bible verse. This sweet lady in Pakistan sent me Matthew 5, verse 11. The sweet Pakistani believer, a second generation believer, sent me these words to this pastor who's struggling with counting all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. She said, Matthew 5, 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here I am worried about what we would say to the American church, to us in the pews when we face certain trials and various difficulties or wrestle with the reality that count it all joy means count it all joy for us as it does for those Pakistani believers who are having their homes burned, their houses destroyed, and their churches burned to the ground. And this dear sister understands what it means to have joy that goes beyond our circumstances. To say, I count it all joy as I watch destruction around me. I count it all joy as I face trials of various kinds. And so it's here, with that backdrop in mind, that I want to launch forward to this central question that's at the top of your outline, how do we count it all joy? That's what I hope to understand. That's what I've been wrestling with this week. How do we count it all joy? This is, in fact, the goal of our Christian maturity that we could indeed count it all joy even when we face trials of various kinds. And joy, how are we supposed to be joyous in them? I want to remind you that this is not an isolated verse in Scripture. This is not a one-off place in Scripture that maybe we could somehow find a way to say James didn't quite know what he was talking about. There's a cohesion in the gospel message. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Romans 5, 3 through 4, not only that, but we rejoice in the sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You go back to what this dear sister said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are you and others revile and persecute you. You go over to what we'll talk about in a little bit in John 5, 5 11, take joy. You take Acts chapter 5, they went away rejoicing in 1 Peter 1 through 6, and this you rejoice. This is a consistent and constant message throughout the pages of scripture to rejoice in the midst of trial. So we need to ask, how do we count it all joy? 
Uh, let's walk through this together. Number one on your outline you see is count it. I'm not trying to be trite, but we count it. The Bible says in verse two, count it all joy. Some other translations would say in a right way, consider it all joy, my brothers. And I think this word, when you look at the reality of it, not with blissful ignorance to walk into it, but there is a conscious reality to our understanding of the trials that we face that we would indeed count it and consider it with conscious and willful effort to say, Lord, I will count this all joy knowing that there is good on the other end of it. I'm going to get to that in a moment, but let me, let me remind us, it is a conscious and willful effort on our behalf with the Holy Spirit's intertwining. And I say that with non-blissful ignorance to say, just count it all joy. I get it. This is hard writing. This is hard truth. This is difficult. But it's the outcome of our mature faith as we trust and depend on Jesus that we could see these things as accounting for our joy. Some translations would say we count it as if we're counting meticulously the hallway that we're building that leads us to Jesus. We're, We're counting with intentionality. And friends, we could look at these verses and say, well, I'm never going to get there. It's not even worth trying. And we could, we could just put this to the side and say, it's not worth it. I can't do it. I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to be there. And so why even try? Friends, I hope as we walk through this that you'll see the joy that's inherent in what we do. So count it, number one. But number two, let's look at happiness and joy's foundation. We recognize that this place that we're talking about, to count it all joy, joy is the most unnatural of things that could come from trials. Joy is the most unnatural thing that would arise in somebody's flesh or life from a trial, which would mean that joy welling up in us as a believer through a trial would be only a work of supernatural uh, uh, dwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. For this sweet believer in Pakistan to write, count it all joy, could only be explained through her connection to the Holy Spirit and being connected to the Spirit of God. I want to remind us, as you look at number two, happiness and joy's foundation. I want to make this crystal clear because this is deeply important. Your trial is not the source of your joy. A trial is not joy. Your trial that you are walking through and in is not the joy. Cancer is not the joy. Death is not the joy. Job loss is not the joy. Persecution is not the joy. Jesus is the joy. The trials that you're walking through, friends, it's okay to be heavy laden and hard in them. It's okay to struggle in them. It's okay to wrestle with them. These things are not the joy. Jesus is the joy. Happiness and joy are two different things. We know that happiness is based on the happenings that are, around, that are going on around us. Happiness based on happenings. Joy is justified in Jesus. These are, these are different things that we need to understand. Jesus is not asking you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with, a, with a, just a grin on your face, joyfully singing happy. No, these are tough days. The Bible doesn't say, even though you walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to pluck you out of it and take you out of the shadow and move you somewhere else. The reality is there are days that you walk right 
through the valley of the shadow of death. And there are days that your trials that you face of various kinds, they are dark. And those trials, the trials themselves are not very joyful. But I want us to see in John chapter 15 what this looks like. In John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you, that my things uh, that I've spoken to you in them, that you may have joy. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy, it may be in you and that my joy may be full in you. And if you're wrestling, hey, I want that, right? If, if Jesus said these things, that his joy would be in you and his joy would be full in you, what did he just say? Wouldn't that be your natural inclination? These things I've told, told you so that my joy would be in you and that my joy would be full in you. Wouldn't it be one of those moments that if you had a pen and paper around Jesus that you go like, what did you say? Hold on, let me, let me make sure I write this down. If I want joy, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy would be in you and my joy would be full in you, what is it that Jesus would say? If you scan back up to John chapter 15 and read the first 10 verses, Jesus is saying, I am the vine. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. He's saying, if you want joy, you abide in me. I am the source of it. I am it. Abide in me and you will produce fruit, right? The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, love, Joy, peace, patience, as you abide in the spirit of God. Joy is in us. Not through the trial, not from the trial. We don't receive joy from the trial. We receive our joy in Jesus. It's a huge distinction that we've got to understand. These joys don't come through the trial. The trial doesn't give these things. Jesus does. And this is where I would stop right here and tell us, Maybe you're reading or listening to this. Maybe you're watching online right now or maybe on TV and you're saying, I have no joy. I have no peace in my life. I can't offer you anything other than Jesus. There's no other place to find it. We can find some temporal happiness in some things, but it's not joy that circumvents the circumstance. And so I know that some of us, we face trials of various kinds and we go to find something to allow us a moment of temporary reprieve from the trial. But Jesus is offering something far deeper, far longstanding, and of far more weight than a temporary reprieve from what we face. You see, even in Acts chapter five, the apostles were about to be put to death for preaching the gospel and their persecution became so great Ultimately, the Pharisees decided to let them go, and how did they respond? After being beaten, these apostles said in verse 41 of Acts chapter five, they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That the apostles, in the midst of their tits persecution, counted worthy to dishonor the name, and they went away rejoicing. There's a difference in the distinction between happiness and joy's foundation that would lead us to number three, that we expect various kinds of trials. The Bible is clear, James is clear with his followers and readers, when you meet trials of various kinds that we know not if you meet them, but when you meet them. 
that trials do come our way. They happen. It's a part of this fallen world. The picture that James gives us is almost like a person in the middle of a string and a circle encircled by trials. When you face trials of various kinds. We go back to 1 Peter that reminds us that your brotherhood are experiencing the same kinds of sufferings throughout the world. And after you suffer a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That we should expect trials of various kinds. Again, I say this knowing that in America and in the church that we, in the day that we live in today, we don't experience what some of our brothers are experiencing across the face of this planet. But that doesn't discount that we as believers in this world, in this city, in this state, in this nation, do face trials of various kinds that are hard. And so we expect them. We expect them and we prepare for them. We stay rooted and abiding in the word of God and the spirit of God. Because number four is a reality. Trials are for our strengthening, not our destruction. Trials are expected. We know that they're coming. We also know that we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of this present world. God will use, as the text is clear, God will use trials for our maturity and for our strengthening and to have fullness of joy, to be complete in our joy. But can I also remind you that the devil will use those same trials for our destruction. God uses trials for our strengthening and for our good, for for our joy to be full and complete, but the devil will at times use those same trials to try to destroy the very fabric of our faith and our calling. This is where the Bible says to be sober-minded and be watchful. Their adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. As you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as you face all sorts of ailments, as you walk through persecution, Those are the moments that God would be with you to strengthen you and those would always be the moments that the devil would come to seek to steal, kill, and to destroy. God uses these things to refine and to shape us. You see in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, it says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by a fire, may be found to be result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As our precious metals go through the refiner's fire and come away stronger and refined and shaped and molded into the image of he who is refining it. Friends, at times we walk through trials and I wish I understood why and how and the circumstances and all the things that would go into how God allows these things in our lives. But I know that God uses trials for our maturity and for our strengthening and the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy in those same moments. It's why we must be sober-minded and watchful. That's why we must, as John tells us, stay connected into the spirit of God and let that well in up joy and peace and patience and kindness, gentleness and faithfulness, and self-control. Friends, I I don't know where you are. 
I don't know if you're walking through a trial right now. Maybe you're, you're looking around and you're thinking, I, I feel like things are pretty good right now. I don't know if something's coming. This is where we move from information to implementation. The book of James is filled with information, good and weighty information. It's good for our minds. It's good for us to consider. It's good for us to be up on. But at times, we need to recognize when these things come our way, we move from what we know here. And when the Bible and the gospel and the wisdom of what happens in our world meets our lives, how, how do we respond? How do we respond to that which what we know? Let, let me pray for us as we continue. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this dear sister in Pakistan. I thank you for the believers who are in Haiti. I thank you for believers who are scattered across the face of this planet right now, who are meeting underground, who are huddled in basements as they meet trials of various kinds. Thank you for this dear sister in Pakistan simply saying that we count it all joy. Lord, I pray that you would so deeply connect us into your spirit that we would be so deeply connected into you that the attributes of the maturity of our faith are the ripe fruits of the spirit, the mature fruits of the spirit, the mature love of mature joy. But Lord, I fully recognize that this is hard and weighty. So we need your help. When we cry out to you, Lord, help us. Teach us and be with us. Thank you that you are the joy in our seasons. That we can look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith, as the good shepherd, as our friend, as our comforter, and as our matchless king. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.